Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. I'm your harmless little fuzzball. Didn't cause damage to anybody. Jonathan Wiegand. I go by many names, but today I am your anchorman of the Federation. Today we are reviewing and discussing episode 8 of Picard, Surrender. And boy, does this episode really surrender some plot and momentum. I mean... Seriously, we we can get into it during the the deep dive, but I was just really flat out disappointed with this week's episode. Okay, Luna, don't don't look at me like that. Don't 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 look at me like that. I mean, you're right. There are some great, amazing like these nerdgasm scenes between Data and I mean, fighting lore and we see Spot and we see the TNG gang get all back together at the table. I mean, it was it was awesome. You know, it was great, but this episode kind of felt like the last week of grade school. You know, there's no assignments. You just watch the movies. You're killing time until the clock runs out. And I feel like that's what's happened for the past two weeks on Picard. And if, if you don't believe me, Dominion, last week's episode, and Surrender both have the exact same cliffhanger ending. Okay, so in Dominion, we see Vatic saying... Now we will finally see who you really are, Jack Crusher. And in Surrender, we have Troy and Jack standing in front of the red door saying, Now we will really find out who you are. That's the same ending. That, that's the same thing. Don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. You can use that one for free, guys. <laughs> guys, I have to say, I'm, I'm seriously starting to worry whether the writers and the showrunners and all that can land the ending you know if they can land this plane or not can we get a worthy ending of Picard and I feel like you know the writers had the story arc laid out and when they were splitting up and divvying up the episodes these are just kind of filler and it's and again same issues as last week we had great nostalgic moments but it didn't move the plot along at all if you disagree or agree with me, please let me know. I love hearing from you guys and discussing the many different perce- perceptions of Picard. And it's it's always great to connect with you guys. I, however, I will say this. Luna, my intern, still giving me a, a side eye. I will say this. This is the best season of Picard that we've had, hands down. Probably even the best season of all new Trek, of all the new shows. I would say this is probably the best. And I mean, you could even argue, you know, that maybe we're nitpicking and we're cutting deep because the prior episodes have been so amazing and we've kind of had that bar raised. And just a side thought, in the 90s and the 80s, as if you didn't know, I am an older millennial, we had these kind of clip shows that sometimes our favorite shows would do. You may see them now with The Simpsons or what. And I feel like that's what the writers should have done because this makes no sense. It's the exact same ending, the exact same story. Nothing's moved. So I'd rather take a clip show than the sweet, sweet candy of nostalgia 
that kind of leaves me hungry for more plot. Anyway, let's get this ball rolling and deep dive into the episode Surrender. Luna, let's roll. As I speak for all Star Trek fans right now, we don't know Jack. <laughs> Remember Luna in the 90s had the, another 90s reference here. I know, I'm sorry. Like Pepper Jack Cheese, like, you don't know Jack. I don't know. Um, I will say this, spoilers for DS9, if you haven't finished DS9, because I know a lot of you haven't and have asked me questions about the founders and about changelings, etc. But um, we're going to break kind of from our normal protocol this week, and we're going to deep dive right into kind of what grinds my gears with this episode and what was wrong with last week's. And normally for for all the weekly listeners, we kind of go into the review right from the start and, you know, and then we separate our high points and low points. But I'm just so fed up that I want to go right into this Jack Crusher mystery enigma that the writers have focused on and are kind of shoving down our throats. And just to be blunt, there's only one theory and it kind of gets me really excited about the whole prospect of Jack Crusher's identity. And we mentioned it last week a little bit, and that's the theory that Jack is a Paul Wraith. Now, for those of you who don't remember who or what those are, they're basically the enemies of the Bajoran prophets. So we're going to deep dive a little bit into Bajoran religious beliefs and kind of expound on them a little bit to kind of give some some background and maybe a refresh for for all of the people that maybe haven't watched DS9 at all or in quite some time. So the Bajoran religious texts tell us that the Palres once resided in the Celestial Temple alongside the, the prophets. And as we all know, the Celestial Temple is the stable wormhole next to DS9. And for reasons unknown, you know, sometime millennia ago, uh, these Palres were banished to the fire caves on Bajor. And according to the ancient Bajoran texts, they are known as false prophets. So they're not the good guys. Um, the Paw Wraiths usually take the form of fire spirits, which is kind of where they got their name, fire caves, fire spirits. And other than that, they were virtually the same and identical to the prophets, but they just were had didn't have good ulterior motives. Let's just say that. They could induce visions in corporeal beings, which is what we see with Jack. So maybe that's why some people think that. With him, that he's a Paul Wraith, because he has these random visions. But that kind of starts us into the the long road of why do I think, and hopefully this theory is correct, that Jack Crusher is kind of possessed or taken a hold of by a Paul Wraith. And we have some precedents for this. So the theory is further enhanced by Troy this week, saying that she sends something ancient and weak, and then the color red. And the images of devastation that Jack sees kind of back up the theory that he's kind of being influenced by these like fire spirits. And if you notice the red door in this episode, particularly the end of the episode, and you look through the keyhole, you can it kind of looks like there's maybe fire dancing on the other side of the keyhole. And that would directly tie. It's not a stretch to say, hey, maybe these are the fire spirits. And and if if you deep dive even more. The last conflict we had between the prophets and the Paul Wraith took place during the Dominion War. So it would kind of make sense for a new conflict to to manifest during this changeling uprising. Uh, I don't know. 
And you may ask yourself, Jonathan, has this ever happened before? Has people ever been possessed by the Pares? And I say, yes. <laughs> so in Deep Space Nine, episode 21 of season six, called The Reckoning, a Paul Wraith took over the body of Jake Sisko. So they're, and they have the red eyes. I don't know if you've seen pictures, but they have the red eyes and it's similar to Jack Crusher's. So we have the same eyes. We have the same imagery. We have the same ancient and weak kind of darkness around Jack. So there, there could be, a, I don't think it's a stretch. There could be a legitimate uh, theory here. So there's two big issues or should I say there's three big issues I don't really putting a lot of stock in this theory in. And that's because, first off, there's been no evidence to explain how Jack Crusher would have first been exposed to the influence of the Paw Wraiths. Because as we all know, and again, spoilers for DS9, Captain Sisko sacrificed his life to seal the Paw Wraith inside the Bajoran fire caves forever. Well, I mean, kind of sacrificed his life. He's kind of living with the prophets now in the celestial temple and promises to come back one day. But, and to me, would that make Cisco's sacrifice like null and void? Would that require gymnastics around the idea of the writers? And uh, the third problem I have is that it's such a deep cut in Star Trek lore. I'm talking deep cut. I mean, the changelings were a lot for people. Could you imagine they bring a power rates? I mean, when I explain Bajoran religious text and what they believe to my friends that have only watched TNG. They look at me like I took some drugs from a guy I met at a bus station and I plan to go live with him in a compound in the desert. Like it doesn't sound Star Trek. It's very outside the box when it comes to typical Trek lore. So would they put in Picard season three, the most heavily anticipated season, I would guess so far of all new Trek. And then they bring in a deep cut, villain like the Paul race i don't know but to me this is kind of the only redeeming theory for jack in my eyes because it would make picard season three a quasi ds9 season eight and personally i would just love that that's so i'm just doing it for complete selfish reasons here and i feel like it would also like turn the tables a little bit we wouldn't get the typical predictable thing and villain that we would expect from picard so i think that's why i think it would be fun if they were really stretching this out as they are, but who knows? And speaking of predictable, let's stay within the Jack sphere. Talk about another theory that is probably what's going to happen. And that is that Jack has Borg genetic material. So way back in the day, back in 2366, Picard was assimilated into the Borg collective and he became Locutus. So he had his independence and his independent thought, but still part of the collective, which made him somewhat unique. And again, as Captain Shaw says, he's the only one that's ever named. So while the Borg got like a positive PR makeover at the end of the last season, after Allison Pills Gerardi took over as the Borg Queen, this is really interesting. So season two co-showrunner Terry Milatis, as we know now, Terry's the man, has since confirmed on Twitter at the time, you know, back in season two, that hers, Allison, and Gerardi's was an alternate timeline offshoot, meaning the real Borg is still a real threat. So that kind of means season two means nothing now. <laughs> so at the end of season two, we see the Borg kind of be going their own way, and Gerardi's the new Borg queen, and they're going to be, 
you know, I guess a little bit more peaceful and not so intense, I guess is the word to say. I only watched season two once and it was not very good. So, and I've even had dear, dear close friends ask me, Hey man, do I need to watch season two for Picard to understand season three? And this kind of confirms what Terry Mulata said is a solid no. Well, I guess if you want like a Q update, but either way, I'm not going to say anything more about season two. The Borg could be a potential threat. Now that Mulattis is doing these gymnastics with a timeline, I think it's totally possible because I would say this is the most popular and evidence-based theories out there about Jack Crusher because Picard, after he was assimilated and then brought back, has biological material in his body that was altered by the Borg experience, leading to him conceiving a baby with Beverly that has Borg-like abilities. So we've seen this before. The Borg are capable of assimilation on a microscopic scale via nanoprobes. So it's possible that a little bit of Borg remained at Picard for all those years, which would explain a lot of things about Jack, his ability to have like a hive-like mind with Sydney, his ability to take over crew members' motor functions, and Vatic's response to him that says, look at you, you're finally living up to your potential. So it could be that Jack is this quasi-perfect Borg hybrid. He's fully human, but he's fully Borg, and he can treat other humans like the Borg. So interesting. He has his own collective. He can... it's it's probably what's going to happen, just to be honest. Um, and then also another reason to think this is the main theory behind Jack. So there's also a quickly gloss over fact that Data tells the crew that Alton Soong found an anomalous form, quote unquote, in Picard's body that makes his initial urodomic syndrome diagnosis appear questionable. So could this anomalous form be resident Borg material. That's probably what it is. And he has transferred that down to Jack. I think that's an easier stretch to make than a power wraith somehow getting involved with Jack during the conception or when Jack was a child or, or something like that. We do, I will say this, we do have one more theory to discuss before we get into the deeper review of the show. And and if you're like, wait, Jonathan, I don't like how much emphasis you're putting on Jack. That's too much. And I'm thinking maybe I should be a writer for Picard because that's all we've gotten the last two weeks is just nothing but him. It's kind of slowed the whole episode down. Like we get going, we have these great moments, and then it comes to a halt. I digress. We'll talk about that soon. A real quick theory, and if you listen to the first couple reviews of Picard Season 3, I pointed out that there are a lot of Khan references and Wrath of Khan references. So... There's a possibility that Jack's origin could be heralded back to Khan. So if you remember in the season two finale, the villain's name, Khan's name, appears on a paper file that soon appeared interested in during the shows, and it was labeled Project Khan, quote unquote, and we haven't heard anything about it since. It just was like a little Easter egg, and we're like, oh, what's that about? So is it possible that soon or someone who worked under him purposely created a genetically modified human with special abilities like Jack. They've been dropping hints. I mean, everything from uh, the first, you know, title opening. It's like in the 25th century. That's the first time since Wrath of Khan that was used. 
plus some of the music. It, there's definitely Easter eggs towards Wrath of Khan. I don't know if that's just because the showrunners just love to tip the cap or it's setting this up. So there is some precedence to this. So while season three hasn't mentioned Khan blatantly at all, uh, Star Trek Picard co-creator Alex Kurtzman did compare this season's villain to Khan at a Comic-Con last year. Let me say that five times fast. Khan at a Comic-Con last year. And while he appears to have been referencing maybe, you know, the mind games unfolding between Vatic and Picard in the nebula, kind of like Wrath of Khan, it could be a reference that, you know, maybe Kurtzman was being more literal than he was willing to let on. And it would also explain, you know, if Jack had these shadowy origins, it would totally understand why he had to, like, planet hop and he has this unique life and he's running and people are always chasing him. And so it's definitely there. You know, as as we know, augments are not allowed in the Federation due to the eugenics war. I think we covered the eugenics war like in our first or second episode, right, Luna? And so if you want to learn about Khan and the Botany Bay, please go back and listen to those. However, so there's just so much time fiddling in the show's second season, not to mention, you know, the vision that and whispers that Jack hears and Vatic referencing Jack, you know, return to a place he seemingly is meant to be at. It's possible, you know, that Picard's offspring definitely does have a more inorganic story, whether that's a Paul Wraith, whether that's Borg, whether that's Khan, it just doesn't line up with a, you know, typical childhood. You know, he's just not blessed to have these abilities. Somebody did this to him. That's all I'm going to say about that as we wrap up the Jack kind of theories. But if I had to put money on it, I'd, I'd say it's the Borg, though. The most fun would definitely be the Paw Wraith. I think that would be freaking awesome. But let's move on into the deeper dive of this week's episode and what stalled out, what made it work. First off, freaking Spot. We got to see Spot again. Ah, so, and plus Data wins. And I can say that the Spot moment, I mean, that got me right in the feels. Freaking love how they showed Data fighting and kind of winning over Lore. And, I mean, they've become one, and it's in the process. And, then I mean, in this whole process, Lore gets everything he's always wanted. He gets friends. He gets family. He gets acceptance. So it's a nice, you know, I mean, for lack of a better term, nice, nice ending for this kind of one-dimensional character's lore. <laughs> and speaking of one-dimensional characters, I'm super pumped that Vatic is finally gone. See ya! I mean, surprise they kind of killed off the show's quote-unquote main villain, and I guess now it's the melty face guy. Amanda Plummer's acting was spectacular this season, however, the writing and the plot development really just kind of let her down. And I just feel like it's kind of a waste almost of such great talent. But I mean, I'm glad she's gone. So maybe we can finally learn who the ghost face is. If we ever will, I don't know because this whole season so far has been so great and it's only really dropped the ball in the last two episodes. I mean, this whole season's really presented us great opportunities and great plot development and working and blending nostalgia with that development so perfectly. And other times, it's literally nothing but obstacles. And a lot of times, this happens in the same episodes. You know, we get those plot obstacles and we get the beautiful blending. 
And that's exactly what happened in Surrender. It's almost kind of inconsistent. You know, we can't have the same thing all the way through the episode. It's kind of a bad roller coaster. And I mean, to me, the episode really just shines when it really concentrates on the iconic crew. You know, when the TNG crew together, they have that chemistry, they're bouncing off. It's awesome. Who doesn't love that? You know, that table scene, that was just, oh, chef's kiss. And then they instantly go back to Jack Crusher. And they just, this mystery, and it's just kind of like, why are we covering this? You know, it's just kind of like the show's doing these acrobatics in avoiding the answer to this pivotal question. And it's kind of becoming tedious. You know, more importantly, they're interrupting that flow, like I've been mentioning, but it's just kind of becoming tedious at this point. And I mean, there's been really heavy handed hints. There's been, you know, the Vatix like ominous declaration in the previous episodes about his true identity. I mean, we get promised revelations that ultimately never come out. And instead of providing answers to us, the show once again complicates it. <laughs> Although Jack can now apparently astral project in other people's bodies, his parents kind of don't really care about that. So now this Jack thing is like a disease and it's spreading to other parts of the show. And it's like, Ugh. so now it's making me not like what they're doing with Beverly, not like what they're doing with Picard, which we'll get into. Again, there's not a priority in providing answers, which is kind of a flip from what we've seen with other episodes is that, okay, we definitely get answers, but they really take their time. And unfortunately, they've really overstayed their welcome here. However, I, I will say this. I do like how the, they clarified why um, Marina Sirtis, who plays Troy, hasn't kind of been absent from the season and how the changelings, you know, uh, showed up as Riker and stuff. So I, I really like that. And the fact that they're kind of bringing her in to uncover the truth behind Jack's visions was really great. However, I just wish we got a resolution. I wish it wasn't a cliffhanger. I wish the episode ended with him opening the door and then we see what's behind it, whether it's a paw wraith, whether it's Locutus, whatever. But I think it's definitely, um, they, they swung and miss big time on this episode. Fortunately, we're going we're gonna to move on to happier subjects of this episode, and that is focusing on Troy and Riker. So unlike the previous episode, Dominion, you know, Surrender has enough other elements that make it look easier to overlook, you know, the clumsy bits. We have a very, very touching reunion between Riker and Troy while they're in prison on Vatic Shrike. And it, it gave us great closure and it allowed them to kind of work through their grief over their son's death. And we see different sides of them and we see almost a kind of a couple, you know, kind of arguing and going, answering tough questions. And it was awesome to kind of watch uh, Frakes and Surtis, you know, their, their chemistry and them going back and forth and Troy amusement with Riker as he's trying to flirt with her. And it's just kind of like exemplified the relationship, you know, and it was awesome. And the only critique I have is we didn't get more scenes with them. However, if anyone <laughs> had to interrupt and rescue them, it had to be kind of this new age wharf. And I will say it was kind of hella awkward, right? Like it was super awkward when he shows up and he starts going down about how he's thought about her and he's she's been in his thoughts and and then Riker's like this is inappropriate I mean it was funny 
but just kind of awkward, you know? Maybe, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm the only one that thought that. The thing is, though, unfortunately, as I kind of watched the episode for a second time, Riker's imprisonment by the changelings kind of is pointless. Think about it. And it doesn't really do anything to progress the overarching plot. I felt like they just needed to get Riker out and it kind of made a sacrifice at Daystrom Institute kind of seem a little void now, just to be honest. And and besides, you know, the realization that Riker gave Vatic the information she wanted to avoid Troy from being tortured, it just doesn't seem... It is it is kind of pointless. You know, it would have been better if they just stayed on the Titan. But that's just me. It leads us to this long-awaited scene, and I've mentioned it a few times, where you have the TNG crew sitting around a table again. And if, for those of you who haven't watched TNG, that's kind of an iconic moment. Usually in all the episodes, they'll in some way, shape, or form sit around a table and figure out how to save the day, figure out a plan, figure out what's going on. And this is kind of what, in essence, what most viewers wanted from the show, like an affectionate, you know, insightful exploration of the characters' lives over the past few decades and how their relationships evolved. I mean, for example, the, the John Luke's remark to Jordy when they're trying to see if he's a changeling is that Jordy has his taste in wine is pedestrian at best. I mean, that's a classic burn, classic Picard. And um, Jordy's like, yep, that's him. So it's it's good to see that. And again, it's just offset by this terrible Jack Crusher plot line that nobody cares about. And speaking about these emotional scenes, nothing really tops from what we saw with Data. Now, I will say this. The outcome of the confrontation between Data and Lore, that was very expected. We knew... Data was going to emerge victorious through the power of love and friendship and connection, you know, that he has with all his crewmates. It was still entertaining to see him reference, though, like all the things that gave his life meaning, which, of course, court lore couldn't comprehend. But, I mean, you know, we see the mentions of Tasha Yar, and of, of course we see Zabat again. Well, I mean, they were very heartwarming moments, and I loved it. And we see the cards, and he's talking about poker, and... This is the moment that exemplifies to me the season's strength in using nostalgic elements to shed new light on our beloved characters. So it's okay to use nostalgia as Terry Mulattis is if it reveals new things about our characters and moves the plot along, which is incredibly difficult to do. Again, we might just be nitpicking because the other episodes have been so great, the last two episodes are just filler, and I don't like it. Speaking of filler and not liking, again, going to Picard and Beverly. So we've had two weeks where it's a kind of the exactly same thing. And what we've seen from Picard and Crusher are kind of sad. Picard's kind of personality is this kind of just taken aback, and it's all-consuming about Jack. And that Beverly, Picard's whole role in the last two episodes are just limited to them pleading for their son's survival. That's all they've been doing. So if we have 10 episodes, 20% of the season is nothing but Crusher and Picard and their two characters saying, no, you can't sacrifice yourself. No, please don't. You have to think of your survival, please. And, and then going back and forth with Vatic about, hey, leave our son. He's a good, like, it's just, 
garbage. Like it's kind of a waste to me. And I really wish they did more with Beverly's role. You know, I wish they expounded it more. I mean, she's such a powerful character and and to think she really wasn't in the first two episodes at all and didn't really speak until the third. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it's kind of a wasteful opportunity and it could, could be used better with those two. Hopefully we'll get more great crusher scenes in in the last two episodes and same thing with Picard. So after ripping all of the crew, let's get into Vatic. So strangely in Surrender, Vatic's role as villain, you know, comes to an end, comes to finale. Um, she kind of, you know, terminates or gets rid of a lot of the insignificant members of the Titan crew. I really didn't think she was going to kill Seven. I didn't think she was going to kill Shaw. You know, it was just kind of like these nameless, faceless people that was like, okay, you're just going to be redshirted for the sake of of backing up her threats and to boost, you know, the, the tension in the, on, on the bridge. So her demise and getting sucked out of an airlock is just kind of an impressive death. I really liked it. Like her going to a thousand pieces and then saying like effing solids. And it's, <laughs> I think it's more than her character deserves because again, it's such a one sided one dimensional character yeah, just not an impressive character. Will not be in the Hall of Fame for Star Trek villains. You kind of can just gloss her over, kind of like the villains from the first two seasons of Picard. So, and again, that has nothing to do with Amanda Plummer's performance. That is not to blame. She has been amazing in all of this. Nonetheless, it's hard to feel underwhelmed by the way the character has simply petered out, you know, in the last half of the season. And now we're just left with the face guy. So we have Vatic petering out, getting blown up. And now we're left with just the face guy. So as the show approaches its final two episodes, we have numerous unanswered questions. It's anyone's guess as to how the storylines of Jack's mystery, origins, his powers, Picard's body and his death, and the impending changeling attack while intertwined. I know they've tried to give us some like hints but they really given us nothing nevertheless we can hope that picard doesn't forget the valuable lessons that have made this season a vast improvement over its preceding two and that is the importance of the characters number one number two their shared legacy and number three the future they're creating together so if it sticks with those three valuable lessons that we learned i think it's going to be okay However, I don't want it to be a 15-minute collapse at all out of the gate at the very last episode. It's blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, we got all the answers, and then the show's over. I hope it's not that. I really hope episode nine literally opens with him opening the door, pun intended, is that we can just literally see what he is and then move on from there and get into this changing attack that's been promised and promised and promised and However, that has been our review of Picard's episode Surrender. Luna, let's light this candle. Man, only two episodes left. Can you believe it? We've gone, we've done eight weeks of reviews. It's been great. What can we expect? It's anybody's guess. Speaking of great reviews, that's what you can expect when you 
read my uh, longtime friend of the podcast. And he's been on the podcast a couple times. My friend's Jason's movie blog, TV blog. It's really great. And, you know, I love his witty banter and witty remarks. And he has weighty puns. Yeah, that was a Lizzo joke from this week's episode of Mandalorian. <laughs> anyway, please head on over to www.jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com. And as always, link is in the episode description. And since you're already clicking links and surfing the web, why don't you head on over to our social media pages. Give us a rate, review, and subscribe. And uh, we're literally on everything. If you want to hear my silky voice on YouTube, we're also on there. That channel's up and running. And then maybe maybe one day we'll do video. I don't know. This, this accounting major is going to have to take some lessons online about video editing, etc. And I think this is what I get for making fun of my communications uh, roommates in college. You know, I'm, they, I guess they have the final laugh. But uh, before we sign off, just a reminder, check in with your friends and your loved ones. You never know what people are struggling with and fighting. Maybe this is a simple text or call, maybe even a Venmo for some Taco Bell. It can change someone's day. And always remember, guys, second start of the right, straight on till morning. <laughs>